Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Energy World in 2023 podcast series. This is the fourth in the series and probably will be the most technical topic we will talk about this year, perhaps for the next few years. I'm joined today by our lead crude analyst, Kit Haynes, and he and I will talk about the Brent contract change that is coming up in June. WTI is getting added to this contract and that has created and is still creating mayhem in the market. While this has been long advertised, and one would argue that by definition, this should have already been priced into the brand contract, what we are seeing, if anything, is people just staying away from brand, particularly the jewel contract, because people simply do not know how this is going to play out. There are a huge number of uncertainties because there are not just, not just because there's an enormous amount of WTI that could theoretically land in Europe, but it is around the complications of not having a loading program on the U.S. Gulf Coast and also how closely linked WTI Brent will become to freight. Lots and lots of moving parts. So with that, Kit, welcome. Hello, thank you. And uh, let's walk through what does this chain actually entail? So what we have is, um, you know, typically the brand benchmark is your BFOET grade. So your brand 40 suspect echo fist control. They are delivered uh, into a, the benchmark at the moment on a FOB basis. Uh, I think one of the, as you mentioned previously with the uh, lack of loading programs with WTI, what you do have with the BFOET is a loading program. So we have visibility on how much crude there will be. So with the Midland inclusion, what we're getting is about you know, probably in the region of a million barrels a day uh, that will be deliverable into interdated rent. That's coming in on a uh, essentially a SIF basis because it's delivered Rotterdam, but a freight netback factor is going to be applied to um, your WTI barrels to get it uh, in line with um, the the rest of the streams that are deliverable interdated. So it kind of creates an equivalent there um, as if WTI was loaded in Europe, or at least that's what it's trying to emulate. So the purpose makes sense in, because Europe has been importing about 1.5 to 1.7 billion barrels per day of US crude anyways. And this makes it one quote-unquote global contract. You cannot have a situation now where if the rest of the market is weak, for whatever reason, Brent is suddenly in backwardation or vice versa, right? So it brings the markets together. But then given that and given how well it's been advertised, what are the challenges we're seeing? Because we've obviously had a lot of questions from clients trying to understand yeah. it. Where do you think are the biggest gaps? I mean, I think, well, firstly, people are just trying to understand how this is going to trade. Um, you know, I think it's it's not a very simple answer to to actually come up with because nobody knows until it actually happens and I, and I think this is the biggest challenge at the moment is that um, you know you can look at this on a theoretical basis and we've done that right we've done a lot of analysis around you know when would uh, Midland potentially set Brent um, well how often would that set Brent um, you know what it means for um, you know the relationship between WTI and Brent um, but ultimately I think there's a lot of other drivers around this so you know if you look at potentially when would Midland set Brent actually in a strong market it doesn't really matter 
um, because I think you're, you're still going to have such um, strength in the North Sea that all of that volume is going to clear. So, um, you know, the change in the contract isn't really going to make any difference in the change in flows. Uh, and I think that's probably what's what's key to um, understanding how things happen. It's just right now there is a huge amount of uncertainty because, um, yeah, like people aren't willing to uh, take a strong position without really seeing how uh, the benchmark trades. So I think we need to see. Uh, I mean, we're seeing that in the um, in the prompt spread at the moment with you know June a lot weaker than July August, for example. But we probably need a few cycles of this to to try and understand where we're going. Um, the other thing I think you know is it's going to be more and more important is is the freight aspect of this um, because essentially if we're you know if we're looking at your uh, your freight adjustment factor, which is what is applied to your SIF Midland cargo, that's going to be based on your um, you know your UKC to UKC, so your basically your local. Uh, freight rates in Northwest Europe, um, whereas your SIF uh, delivery is going to depend very much on your um, TD25, so that's your US Gulf Coast into uh, Europe rates. So I think we could end up with doing a lot more um, ballast effort max counting, basically, in, in both of these regions to try and understand, uh, you know, which freight rate is going to pull more uh, and how that might impact the um, uh, Midland delivery i think you made like you've hit some really important points at the which are worth emphasizing first and foremost the contract change doesn't mean you will actually get a change in flows you know european refiners are more or less constrained at about let's say 1.7 million barrels per day of how much of of u.s crude that they can process and that is going to be the cap right regardless of this change it doesn't mean that the entire export program of, say, 3 million barrels per day from the U.S. suddenly comes to Europe. You'll still have 1.7-ish coming here and, let's say, 1.3-ish going to your, uh, to Asia. That doesn't change. Of course, what this does do is you suddenly have an enormous amount of liquidity provided to the brand contract. And I think that is one of the issues which people have to um, almost figure out what that means. Which grades will set dated? I think that's becoming a huge talking point in the market. Um, again, theoretically, like you said, you know, 40 should be setting dated most of the time. Uh, but yeah, there will be a percentage of the time when TI Midland uh, can set it. But it's just way too soon to even know what that number is going to be. And, and to your point, right now, the reason I also think it's going to take a few cycles to really figure out how this impacts Brent is we've just had this ongoing SPR release in the US. So the Gulf Coast is oversupplied, which does mean we're going to get some more barrels pointing to the export market, which does mean that you probably need to trade through maybe June, July, and even August, kind of become quote-unquote normalized, then get through and see, okay, what is the real impact on brand spreads? I mean, ultimately, to your point, if the market is tight, if OPEC cuts have materialized as we expect them to, and, and you know we're screaming for crude, none of this is going to matter. We can sit here in a year's time and have a theoretical conversation and say, oh, Brent spreads went up to $3. Maybe without the contract change, it would have got to 4 But we're just not going to know that, right? I think that's going to be, that's the only debate we can have at this stage. I suppose 
on the flip side of that, when you do um, have times of weakness in the North Sea, so, you know, potentially if you've got big turnarounds, um, well, if you have big turnarounds on the Gulf Coast even, and uh, that pushes out more crude, and you have big turnarounds uh, retrospective, or at the same time, sorry, in um, uh, in Europe, then you could end up with a larger contango structure than we've seen in recent times. But again, that's largely down to the uh, liquidity that we've added, because, um, you know, we've just... 800 bar- 800,000 barrels at the moment just don't really have the option there to uh, heavily short the market. Yes, yeah, so a very good point that at times of contango with this change, you can actually get some really weak Brent spreads because in a way, Brent will almost be acting like a Cushing because you can actually deliver tanked Midland into the window, right? And I think that's absolutely going to be the case. So times of strength, it's going to matter a lot less, but times of weakness, the contract change will make for much weaker Brent spread for sure. And again, theoretically, it does mean WTI Brent should be narrower. Uh, it should mean WTI Brent is more or less equal to freight. Uh, and of course, that in general, MEH and Brent, the structures, or WTI Midland and Brent, the structures should be even more closely correlated than it is now. Given uh, given how exports are going to be influencing Brent, so I think those are the few things we can say for sure. But it's just impossible to know um, how how it exactly plays out cycle by cycle. But but let me ask you this, right? Shouldn't this be a very niche uh, topic? And I know we are kind of doing a podcast on this, uh, and it should only apply to traders. I mean, why do you think there's been such a huge interest? globally from our client base um, on this topic? I suppose it's because it's the biggest change we've seen um, in a number of years. You know, we had uh, Troll added in 2018. It didn't make a huge ripple in the market at that point, just because probably the volumes, FOB, it wasn't such a big change. Um, but I think this time it's it's the most liquid volume added to the Brent benchmark since 2002, I think, when uh, 40s and Oseberg were added. Uh, so I think you have that aspect of it and you have the the SIF, well, the SIF rate netback aspect of it, which is just different. Um, and I think it's it's kind of a f- trying to find a way to fudge liquidity into the benchmark, essentially. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of people have asked us, I mean, not so much recently, but previously, like, why didn't Yuan Sverdra get added? Because that's right on the doorstep. You could have done the same, um, uh, you know, you could have done the Bob delivery, but uh, you know, that's it's just not the right quality crude, really. It's not, it doesn't trade in the same way. So, uh, I think WTI is the right choice, but I think it's just, um, yeah, it's just because of the size of the change that uh, we're having so many questions. Um, and you know, this is probably going to have an impact on your spreads like we are seeing at the moment, I suppose. So, um, because you've got, uh, you know, a lot of people involved in, in those markets as well, and we get more interest in, on that side. And I think it's also, if you think about it, if you're a U.S. Gulf Coast refiner and you've only always been exposed to WTI, suddenly yeah. you have to be like, oh, actually, I do need to know about Brent. And in my recent conversations in Asia, what was very interesting is the realization amongst the Asian refiners when we were talking about this. Of course, a lot of them don't buy TI. Some of them do, but a lot of them don't. But pretty much every single one of them uses Brent to buy to hedge their exposure. Right. on Dubai. And again, indirectly, you are now exposed to this contract change. 
And I think even from a financial point of view, you know, Dubai probably, you could argue, is the best benchmark to reflect Asian fundamentals, but it's not very liquid. And WTI, for all, for all the changes that have been made, is still a very cushing heavy localized fundamentals driven benchmark right it, it ultimately reflects what is going on in the u.s midwest and at cushing so if you want a global view and the volume of hedges that are being done particularly on the efs side i think that also probably magnifies the change more so than we realize because for us it's like it's a very specific contract change whereas directly or indirectly suddenly we've got refiners around the world exposed to yeah and i think if you if you look at it on that kind of macro scale you've also got the micro scale where now actually the gulf coast is is suddenly so much more important to all of your global markets so your micro balances are going to be pretty key uh because i think you know a lot of the understanding how dated will trade is going to be understanding you know how much people have got in tank or say they've got in tank and how much is is delivered so um suddenly your yeah your pad three your u.s gulf coast balances are going to become really important so you know just imagine we have a freeze-off or a hurricane or fog in the houston shipping channel you know all of these are potentially going to impact uh asian refines it's a very interesting point you mentioned because again theoretically and i keep repeating the word theoretically because we just don't know how it's going to play out in practice theoretically the addition of wti should cap brand spreads and it should need to reduce volatility, except, like you say, when there are freeze-offs or when there's a hurricane. And then we can again have the argument, oh, by the way, could Brent spreads have been higher? Suddenly, you might actually get a hurricane that knocks out a a huge chunk of Corpus Christi and Brent spreads go flying because the 1.5, 1.7 million barrels per day Europe has been expecting or gotten used to suddenly doesn't show up. So, it does. I mean, I think, again, it's easy to say theoretically, yes, absolutely, it should cap the upside to brand spreads. And it, it does mean less volatility because, you know, liquidity and volatility are inversely correlated. But it does, I think it opens up, uh, uh, opens us up to new drivers of volatility, right. current, which just didn't exist. Yeah, same with the um, uh, freight angle of that, right? Because, you know, what we saw over last year is a huge shift of Afromax uh tonnage into the kind of the russian the gray fleet or at least running those russian routes which tightened up your aframax um uh freight rates and that's again been a driver of of why we've seen uh quite a big uh brent dubai spread so uh you've got all those extra factors and they're all going to become more important in global markets now i think the other uh, challenge probably and and again this could also almost lead to more volatility if people stay away from the contract, right, even though you're technically adding liquidity, is I think the way it's structured, like currently with the loading programs, a buyer has a rough idea about which cargo they're going to receive and roughly what date of the month. Yeah. Because there is no loading program, you don't know exactly when. Like you might be expecting a cargo in the first half of the month and you get it in the second half of the month. I think that can create some volatility in its own kind of kind with CFDs probably pretty exposed to it. Yeah, I think you could see more uh, volatility in this volatility in the CFD market. Um, uh, I think, you know, especially because, yeah, you just don't know how much is in tank on the Gulf Coast. And I'm sure people are going to be trying to find out how, how much there is, uh, you know, using satellites, but I don't know how effective that's going to be. But um, uh, 
yeah, you will get um, the potential to, uh, you know, I think you're meant to, or the the assumption in the contract is it's a 17-day shipping time. But again, if you have to sail around a hurricane or if you have to um, uh, s- slow steam or even if, if something arrives a bit faster, then it could kind of, uh, yeah, offset you versus CFD that you're trying to hedge for. So it uh, could create some, uh, I think, quite a lot of volatility, particularly yeah, around the uh, maybe even the first and the last uh, CFDs because that's your, um, you know, around expiry time. It does, however, give an enormous amount of uh, trading power to any uh, company that has tank space in the Gulf Coast uh, and has more exposure or more experience in moving U.S. crews to Europe. So I think the players who are involved in the North Sea will probably also shift over time. Doesn't mean that some won't exist, but the the pricing power probably shifts uh, as well. Yeah, well, I think we definitely see that. Um, you know, we probably have a couple of new players. Uh, and I, again, I think that's why um, TI was picked as, as a grade to be included, just because it does uh, open up the amount of producers that um, deliver into uh, dated. But um, yeah, it does give an awful lot of power to those with, tank space uh, with an eligible Midland delivery um, service on the Gulf Coast. My worry, honestly, is um, that, and just based on the questions we are getting right now, I don't think we can figure out which cargo will be delivered in the window, uh, when exactly, etc., etc. And I think a lot of uh, market participants are almost trying to do that. And my genuine worry initially is that all of this leads to more volatility, uh, either because most of the physical players really understand Brent just stay away and you get more of the generalists in this space because they think, again, all else will equal, WTI getting added to Brent should mean narrow TI Brent and less steam backwardation in Brent. But, you know, counting cargos like that, again, just because, you know, unless and until you've actually got a set, actually got a buyer to deliver that cargo, it may not even get delivered in the window. So I think that's my worry, and you could potentially see some significant volatility into this like into this front month's expiry. Um, and I think that that could almost put people off for the next couple of cycles. Well, maybe you even see more cargos going one one month, but you've got WAFARBs closed or something like that, right? So you could end up. Um focusing too much of your attention on the WTI market and then uh, miss, missing the rest of it. So I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot uh, a lot of interesting practice. I mean, especially as uh, only your uh, Aframax cargoes are actually included in uh, the um, data contract. So uh, any DLCC moves, and I know they're not that common, but um, you can see a few of them come over um, when the price is right. Uh, they're not going to impact your contract. They'll be out of uh, program cargoes, essentially. Yeah, unless you get VLCC so cheap that you, it makes sense for you to, you know, do ship to ship. But again, those are extreme circumstances. And I, I think that's kind of partly the issue, right? What we do know, and just kind of summarizing some of the things, what we do know is there will be a massive exposure to freight now going forward. Uh, we do know that MEH and Brent structures will be much more correlated, but that doesn't necessarily mean that TI and Brent will be the same. Of course, MEH, Brent being correlated means that uh, WTI can't really disconnect from what MEH does, for sure. Um, and we also know that the actual volume of 
oil coming to Europe is not going to change significantly. And at times when things are tight, none of this, oh, it will really not matter that much. It matters a lot more when, when things are weaker. But again, it's the next few cycles that can really create a lot of volatility, just as the market is trying to understand how this plays out. And you get a lot of financial flows, um, which can, you know, which I think is the worry in the market right now, which is why people are staying away from it. Yeah, With that, I think um, we are going to wrap up. Uh, please do send through your questions. I know this has been a very hot topic um, and we are always very keen to hear what you have uh, to ask us about this and any way we can help. Uh, and please also let us know if this podcast was useful uh, as we always ask for your feedback. Uh, and uh, we look forward to... Uh, spending more time with you through these podcasts in the next few months. So thank you very much. Thank you, Kit. Um, and thank you all.